Uh, we've made our way through the book. We've studied, uh, uh, we've seen the Lord Jesus Christ as he revealed himself to John in chapter 1, chapters 2 and 3. We looked at uh, seven specific churches that existed during the early church age, but they really describe for us the church age in general. It's the age in which we're living today. And then we studied uh, uh, some, some things that have not yet happened, called the tribulation period, as it's recorded in the book of Revelation. And uh, it really has been an incredible study. We've, we've been, uh, there are a lot of things that have been brought to our attention, some things that are hard to understand. There are also things that have been clarified as we've studied our way through the book. And uh, what was it last week on Sunday night, we studied chapter 20. And we studied in chapter 20, you remember, the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw from chapter 20 um, that there is coming a day where the Lord Jesus Christ is actually going to rule and reign on this earth for 1,000 years. And he's going to be the king. It's going to be a theocracy. Um, We could call it that. He's going to be the king, and he's going to rule and reign. And there will be nations on the earth. There will be people living on the earth during that time. Um, Those of us who are living today who are born again will be there. Um, those who were saved during the tribulation period will be able to marry and have children throughout the thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you remember how we read from the Old Testament, there was one particular passage that actually mentioned how people will live to be a hundred, and they'll be thought that they're just a young whippersnapper. Uh, they'll be a hundred. They'll live hundred years, two hundred years, three hundred years, four hundred years. They're going to live a long, long time and it's going to be a wonderful time on the earth. Uh, it's going to be a time of peace. The, the, the lion and the lamb will lay down together. It's going to be a wonderful time of peace. But then you remember at the end of chapter 20, or the middle part of chapter 20, we read how for God's own purposes, he's going to loose or let loose from um, that pit, he's going to let Satan loose again one more time. And Satan's going to go out throughout to the four corners of the earth, and he's going to deceive mankind, and he's going to lead a final rebellion against Jesus Christ and against God. And isn't it sad that people are going to believe what Satan says, and even though they're living in really a perfect time where Jesus Christ is the king, and you can trust at that point, you could trust your politicians, you can trust laws that are made, um, you can trust government and and, and, and it, it, uh, sin is going to be dealt with. It's going to be a wonderful time to live. It's a time of peace, and yet people are going to believe the lies of, sa- of Satan, and they're going to rise up against Jesus Christ one last time. And we read the horrible description there where God is going to consume them with fire, and they're going to be destroyed one last time. And then we came down to the end of chapter 20, and we saw what is identified as the great white throne judgment. It's going to take place after... The tribulation period is going to take place after the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. And it is a very sobering number of verses there. I think it was verses 10 through verse number 15. And uh, as we read and studied those verses, we were reminded that there's going to come a day where God Almighty is going to resurrect the dead. And they're going to stand before him, those who have rejected Jesus Christ as personal Savior... And they're going to stand before him, and they're going to give an account to him for everything that they've ever done. And they're going to be judged for their sin. And you notice in verse number 15 of chapter 20, it says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast, literally hurled, into the lake of fire. Now that is a very, very sad verse when I think about it. Because when I think about it from the perspective of those who are lost, those who have rejected Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here this evening, and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Maybe you're a religious person. Maybe you're much, uh, I, I might think of you as a much better person than the average person in America today. But it really doesn't matter what I think of you. It matters if you've ever received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Are you relying on your own good works, or are you relying on the works of Jesus Christ and his holiness and his righteousness. And I'm reminded uh, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
and saved from sin, saved from death, saved from the great white throne judgment. And if you're here tonight and you've never received Jesus Christ, I implore you to put your confidence and your faith in Jesus Christ alone because he will save you. He can save you and he will save you. That's why he came and he died on the cross to save you and me from our sins. So we don't have to stand there on that day. Because for the people who stand there on that day, they're going to, uh, they're not going to be received into heaven. They're going to be cast into hell. The lake of fire for all of eternity. A horrible, horrible judgment. Now we come to chapter 21. And as we're looking at chapter 21, we're not going to be able to study all the verses. I think there are 27 in the chapter. We're not going to be able to do that tonight. We're going to look at some of them. But really when we come to chapter 21, what we're looking at is a period of time. Actually, it's not a period of time. It's the beginning, what we might say, of eternity. Uh, it's, it's heaven is what we're beginning to talk about tonight. And I'm excited about that. Uh, we're going to touch a little bit on the new Jerusalem. What is heaven like? I could ask you that question here tonight. What is heaven like? And some of you might say, well, heaven is a city. Well, that's the new Jerusalem. That's, that is a city, but that's not all heaven is. Heaven's not just a city. Uh, because we find here in chapter 21 a wonderful description of a new heaven and a new earth. And he also talks about the destruction of this earth and uh, the heavens as we know them today. And we'll, we'll think through those things. But let's look here beginning in verse number one of Revelation And I'm going to read down just a little bit. In fact, I might read the whole chapter just to give you some perspective. And uh, it's probably been a while since you've read it. So let's read it together. And then we'll just look at eight verses here tonight as we study. Notice in verse number one of Revelation chapter 21, the Bible says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. Think about that. What does he mean by that? The earth today is, is covered by roughly, uh, is two-thirds covered by water. Two-thirds to three-fourths covered by water today. Uh, verse 2, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. We could say amen to that. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Now, who would that be? That would be the church. Uh, Verse number 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone, most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, And in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. Now, notice he's giving us a very detailed description of the new Jerusalem, that great city. Verse 16, And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. 
And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, and 140 and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. That's how pure the gold is. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third of uh, chalcedony, and the fourth is emerald, and the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, and the seventh chrysolite, and the eighth beryl, and the ninth a topaz, the tenth a chrysoprasis, uh, and the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. So each gate is made out of one pearl. There are twelve of them. Large pearls. And the street of the city was pure gold, as if it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Who's going to enter into this incredible, the most glorious city ever known? Created by the Lord Jesus Christ? And the answer is those people whose lambs are or whose names are written, whose names are found written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Before we pray, I'll ask you this question. And there's a wonderful song about it. And the question is, is your name written there? Is your name found written in the Lamb's Book of Life? When I I uh, think of my family, my children, when I think of you, uh, is your name written there? There is not a greater, more important decision in all of your life than to know, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love for us. And Father, we're a busy people, we Americans. We have a lot, we think, going on. A lot of things that consume our thoughts, that we devote our lives to. We spend days longing and desiring things that fade away, are here today and gone tomorrow. And Father, what we're studying in this book of Revelation is about a city, a place called heaven, a new heaven and a new earth, with a glorious city, a place called heaven. That is our hope. Uh, a place that we long to go and see someday, and a place that where we'll live for all of eternity, where things will not be frivolous and things will not be here today and gone tomorrow. They will be eternal. Father, I pray for every one of us here tonight. Help us, I pray, to have a right perspective on life and what's important. And I pray that you'd help us with that tonight. In the name of your Son, Jesus, I ask these things. Amen. Now, before I continue on, I want to make mention of something I meant to do it earlier, and it just came to my mind. There are two people in our church I'd ask you to pray for specifically tonight, uh, and we'll do so at the end of the service. Uh, Robert Jennings is one. He's been in the hospital for over a week. Um, he's been very sick for about three weeks or four weeks, and he's not doing well, okay? He's in the hospital. His wife is there with him, uh, looking over him. Pray for Robert. And then also, if you'd pray for Rob Harmon. Rob Harmon had a heart attack Friday uh, while exercising. Many of you know this. Um, he drove himself to emergency at McLaren. They did an immediate surgery. They put a stint in to his heart. And there's still an artery they're saying is 70% closed. So he's still there as best I know. Is that true, Mrs. Harmon? Going home tomorrow. And that's what I was told. So, But be praying for Rob and Terry, if you would. I keep them in, in our, let's keep them in our prayers.
All right, uh, we'll, and we'll pray for them before we conclude our service tonight. And so look here in chapter 21 in verse number 1, because really, again, we don't have enough time to look at all of what we just read. We're going to do that in a couple of weeks to come. But uh, as we look at chapter 21, we're confronted with a few different wonders. One is, it's a wonderful new world, we could call it. A new heaven and a new earth. Uh, This great city, Jerusalem, created by the Lord Jesus Christ for you and for me. We also find in chapter 21, that brand new city created by Christ. And then there's a conclusion to Revelation Uh, as we work our way down through chapter 21. So let's see what the Bible has to say about this wonderful new world that is going to be created someday, because he's going to do away with the present world in which we live. Um, And as as, uh, we look at these verses tonight, some of you have loved ones who have passed on already. And you might think of them. You might, uh, all of us are facing death at some point. Should we live long enough? Should Christ not return and take us home to glory to be with him? So this is talking about the future. This is talking about eternity with God. What's it going to be like? So first of all, I notice there's a wonderful new world. It's going to be created by God. The new world, heaven and earth, is going to be created by God. Notice in verse number one, he says this, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. That is, the earth that we're on today. The first earth and the first heaven are passed away, and there was no more sea. So, very obviously, in verse 21, you see that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I want you to hold your place in Revelation 21. I want you to turn with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, and I'd like you to turn there, because I really want you to see these verses with your own eyes. It's one thing for me to say something to you from the pulpit, and I, I, I want to be trustworthy. I would hope you can trust me, but it's very important. It's much more important what God says than what men say. So 2 Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 5, um, and I'll read down through verse number 14. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse number 5. It says this in verse 5 of 2 Peter chapter 3. For this they willingly are ignorant of. You know that sometimes people just don't bother me with reality. I'd, I'd just rather be ignorant of that. I'd rather live in ignorant bliss. Okay. Some are willingly ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old... And the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Now, what is Peter talking about there? What cataclysmic event is, was Peter talking about when he penned down those words? The flood. And, and, and he writes about it here. The Spirit of God gives him the words to write. He talks about a world that was in the past. Not even the world that we live in today. It's the same world, same earth, but it was different then. Being overflowed with water, it perished. Notice in verse number 7, Peter continues, But the heavens and the earth, which are now, and we live in the same atmosphere today that Peter lived in then, the earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store. We're preserved, the earth is preserved in its current state, State and the heavens are preserved in their current state, for what? Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. In other words, there's coming a day when God is going to destroy the heavens and the earth that you and I know of today with fire. Verse number 8. But, beloved... Be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, And the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. 
Verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Whenever you say that word conversation, it means manner of life, the way you live your life. So Peter literally says, so look around, take a good look, because everything that you see is going to be dissolved, consumed with a fervent heat. And then he says this, now that you know that, What kind of a life do you think you should live? That's good application. Verse 12. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. That's what we should be doing. Looking for. Longing for it. Wherein the the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved... Seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And I'll I'll end there. But Peter, and you hold your place in 2 Peter for just a moment, Peter gives us some important details about heaven and what heaven is going to be like. God tells us through Peter, in a sense, that there there have been three stages. There was the earth and the heavens that were destroyed. The earth was destroyed by a flood, correct? And then God, in a sense, remade it. And then there is the time in which we live today, the heavens and the earth of today. And Peter is telling us, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, that God himself is going to destroy this this earth and these heavens that we and you and I are familiar with, with a fervent heat. And he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. A heaven and an earth prior to Noah's flood was destroyed by God. Look again in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 5. We read it, you saw it, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. It was destroyed. It was destroyed by God. The heavens and the earth Water were destroyed. And so God had prepared the earth for the first man and the first woman. He had prepared the earth for Adam and for Eve. And as well as their descendants. And God had readied everything for them when he put them into the Garden of Eden. But Adam and Eve sinned, you remember. And because of their sin, they brought death and decay into God's beautiful world. Romans chapter 8 and verse 22 tells us that God's creation is in bondage and in travail until this day. Job recorded in Job chapter 15, in verse number 15, the latter part, that the heavens are not clean in the sight of God. And then, what about the heavens and the earth that we know of today? Well, you saw there, uh, in both chapter, one, or chapter 21 of Revelation, in verse number 1, as well as in Second Peter chapter 3, that the heavens and the earth are going to be destroyed by God through fire. Uh, look at verse number 7 of Second Peter chapter 3, if you're still there, verse number 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Look back to Revelation 21 in verse number 1. In the second part, in the latter half of of verse number 1 there in chapter 21, it says, For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. The Apostle Paul in Corinthians mentioned a third heaven. Um, Paul says that he was caught up. It has the idea of being raptured. And it's possible that Paul actually saw what we're studying here in in, in Revelation chapter 21. And, And even in the Old Testament, God promised his people a new heaven and a new earth. Listen to this in Isaiah 65 and verse 17. He says, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. In other words, when we are living in that heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, we're not going to remember this earth anymore. We're not going to remember what it was like on this earth. In Isaiah 66 and verse 22, the Bible says, For as the new heavens and the new earth 
which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And that's a wonderful promise to God's chosen people. I should point that out. Now, there is some disagreement amongst Bible scholars as to what God means by the word new. You see it there in verse number one. He says, uh, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Is God going to obliterate the earth and start all over from nothing? Can I ask you this? Could God do that? Yes or no? Yeah, he could do that. It took him six days before, and he created everything, so it shouldn't be a problem. If he wanted to do that, he could. Or is God going to make this earth new? Um, I tend to believe that he's going to make this earth new. The word new in the Greek language literally means new in character. That's very important. It means new in character. So in a very real way, when God destroyed the earth with the flood, not to the same degree, but he made it new. It was different after the flood. Now in this case, God's going to describe destroy the earth with fire. And I believe he's going to make it new again. Notice again, notice in verse number 5 of Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. It says, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And again, the word new has the idea of new in character. But either way, the earth is going to be perfect. Okay. Now look again at verse number one, the latter part. It says, There was no more sea. When we look at the earth today, two thirds of the earth is covered by water. Um, upwards, almost to three quarters of the earth is covered by waters or water. God isn't going to do, with all, do away with all water, but it's obvious that he's going to reconfigure the earth as we know it. So this wonderful new world, this place that we call heaven, and that's what we're familiar with, this wonderful new world, this new earth and these new heavens and this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven to come into, uh, I don't know that they're going to be actually connected or touching but they're going to be fairly close, and we're going to be able to pass in between both the new Jerusalem and the new earth. Um, I've got to tell you, this has been kind of exciting for me to study this, because when I was a little boy, I thought I was going to be trapped in a city for all of eternity, in a mansion, a small room, you know. And it was, I was thinking, that's it? That's heaven? Now, we do, have, we do think that way, don't we, as human beings? This is what we know. So tell me, hey, we're going to move and go somewhere else to the unknown. And all of us, there might be some of us who love excitement in this room, but, but almost all of us go, I have to leave this to go where? What's it going to be like? Right? That's how we think as human beings. And so this wonderful new world is going to be an actual, literal place created by God for all of his people. You know, before Jesus ascended to be with his father, he told his disciples in John chapter 14 and verse 2, In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. A place for you. I love how Jesus talked so specifically to the people that he loved. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. In those words, I think, summarize God's intent for mankind from the very beginning. That his creation, mankind, could be with God in fellowship. That was always God's plan. And it has not stopped being his plan. It is still his plan to this very day. If we could expect heaven, I think, to be drastically and shockingly different than the earth, we would ha he would have told us. I think that's implied in that verse. And I really believe this. We are going to feel as much at ease in heaven as we do here. And I believe even more. Do I need to say that again? We are going to feel as much at ease in heaven. Probably more. And you and I feel at ease here. One of the things that I love during a work week is going home to my house, to my wife, to my children, 
It's what I know. We've decorated it. We've worked on it. Sometimes it breaks. And then it's not as much fun to go home to that. But isn't it nice to be at home? It's a place of rest. It's a place of comfort. There's peace. Um, You should think that way when you think about heaven. Because in a human sense, as best I can communicate to you, it's going to be like that. Heaven's going to contain much that we're fondly familiar. When Paul was taken into the third heaven, this is very interesting, he couldn't tell if he was in the body or out of the body. It was that familiar to him. He talks about that in Corinthians. And he says, I, he basically says, I can't tell you which I was. Was I in the body? Was I, I don't, I mean, think of it. It was that familiar to him. So the wonderful new world is going to be created by God. We see that in verse 1. In verse 2, we see that the wonderful new world is going to have a capital city. And it's called the New Jerusalem. It's not going to be the city of Jerusalem like as Cindy and I visited it a couple of years ago. That was an exciting experience and wonderful, and I would love to go back and see it again. It's incredible. But this city is going to be different. Not made by kings of the earth. It's going to be made by the king of heaven and earth. The Lord Jesus Christ. And it's called the New Jerusalem. Look at verse 2. He says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now when we think of heaven, the word heaven is used in a few different ways in the Bible. There's heaven as it would be the atmospheric heaven. That's where we look up and, 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 and when I tell Will, I say, Will, look at the plane right there. Do you see the plane? It's in the atmospheric heaven, right? We fly in that. Um, then there's the stellar heavens. That's where we look up on a, on a clear night. And we can say, you see the Big Dipper right there? You see that? See the Big Dipper? That's in the stellar heavens. But then there's also the dwelling place of God. And it's amazing here, as you read in verse number 2, that you see this holy city called, it's given a name, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven and is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The heavens are literal, that's what I'm saying. The earth is literal, as we're reading. The sea is literal, and so is this city literal. I believe he's talking literally here. He's not talking in a, a picture He's giving us literal facts. The holy city of God descending out of heaven is the very place that Jesus Christ went to prepare for us. As I quoted to you just a moment ago from John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. Chapter 21 is going to fully describe this holy city. We read a little bit of it, the details of it. The new Jerusalem. And the old Jerusalem is going to be replaced with a new Jerusalem. And the new Jerusalem is going to come down from God out of heaven to this earth made new by God. Think about it. For about 2,000 years, Jesus Christ has been building this new Jerusalem. The expression prepared, you see it in verse 2, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband is a symbolic reference to the preparation of a virtuous young woman for the day of her marriage. i got to tell you, as a groom that day, I couldn't wait to see Cindy. And I stood there, and my knees were shaking, and then at the back of the auditorium, the doors were opened, and there she was. And she had adorned herself as a bride for the groom. I can remember that feeling. Wow. This, this new Jerusalem has been adorned, is made, is created, has been created, is being created by the Lord Jesus Christ. In a sense, for you and for me, for his glory. So there's going to be a wonderful new capital city for this wonderful new world. Thirdly, I notice in verses 3 and 4 that the wonderful new world is going to involve a new community. 
a new community, not like the community of earth today. Notice in verse number three, he says, And I heard a a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, or look and see, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he, God, will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Now remember, at this point in human history, and I'm going to I'm remind us of something while we're thinking about these wonderful thoughts. There's something you have to remember. The tabernacle of God is going to be with men, and it's going to be able to be with men because there are no sinners on the earth anymore. And folks, I've got to remind you, we have this life to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is all we have. Mr. Good's mom passed away and they celebrated her homegoing last Monday. Her funeral was a celebration of her homegoing. She was 99 and a half years old. And as I talked to Mr. and Mrs. Good about Mrs. Good's mother-in-law and Mr. Good's mom, when her obituary was put out there online, comments began to flow in underneath. She led me to the Lord. She led me to the Lord. She led me to the Lord. Multiple comments. She led me to the Lord. And you know what? There's going to come a day when Mrs. Good is going to see those people again that she led to the Lord when they were little whippersnappers in, in uh, Bible clubs, at, a, at a, a county fair, a booth set up where she... Uh, use like a flannel graph and tell a gospel story and then lead them to Christ. There's coming a day where they are going to be here with her. And I cannot encourage you and me enough. Let us make the most of the life that we have to point other people to the Lord Jesus Christ. So really what he's saying here in verse 3 is that God is going to be with us. I really find it hard to comprehend This idea of God in all of his glory dwelling with us. Who's going to inhabit heaven? The people who are going to inhabit this new eternal earth will be those who receive Jesus Christ by faith. And again, I ask you here tonight, have you received the Lord Jesus Christ by faith? If your answer to that question is, well, I'm a good person, you're not good enough. Nobody is good enough. The Bible says that we've all come short of the glory of God. If you answer that question, well, I've done my best, our best is not good enough. The Bible tells us that all have sinned, all of us have sinned and come short of his glory. It tells us to call unto him. But as many as have received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so, who are these people who are inhabiting the the new earth and the new heavens and and, and the the new Jerusalem? Who are these people that this great city was created for, by God, for some people? Who are these people? And the answer to that is, all those who have received Jesus Christ by faith. Before the flood, before Abraham, before Jesus' ministry on earth and dying for the sins of the world, during the church age, all who are saved during the church age, and those who were saved during the tribulation, those who believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior during the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth, you do understand that those who live during that time, those who are born during the millennial reign of Christ, are going to have to make a choice. Jesus is going to be king, that's not in doubt. Their choice is going to be either to receive salvation, forgiveness of their sins by the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice in dying for their sins a long time before, thousands of years before. Or they will choose to reject him and be deceived by the evil one and follow the devil. So there's going to be this innumerable number of people who are going to inhabit the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. And I I can't help but being reminded that God has a special love for mankind. I'm reminded of Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 
down through verse 10, and I'll, I'll remind you of it as I read it. It says this, After this, John writes, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, I love this, of all nations, of all kindreds, of all people, of all tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. You see, heaven is not just a place where all things are new. It is a place where we can enjoy unbroken fellowship with God Almighty. Sometimes in this life, even those of us who are born again, indwelt by the Spirit of God, indwelt by Jesus Christ, by His Spirit, saved, born again, forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future, even you and I sometimes sin, don't we? And fellowship is broken. And and a believer can feel as lonely as anybody else on the face of the earth when we're not walking in the Spirit and taking God at His word. But there's coming a day in the new heaven, in the new earth, in heaven, in the new Jerusalem, where that fellowship will never be broken again. Look at verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. When When it says there that God's going to wipe away all tears from our eyes, it means that, I think it's referring to that normal reaction that you and I have in this present life. It comes from time to time. Sorrow. Sorrow is going to be eliminated. In Job 5 and verse 7, Job tells us that man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. When we were burning the brush as we cut down that pine tree a little over a week ago, the the sparks flew upward, didn't they, Ian? And one of them actually came down on the back of his neck in between his coat. And my 10-year-old son, I heard this whoop. I thought they were Indians charging in from the backfield or something. And, and I think you thought you were on fire, didn't you? It felt like it. And it was just a little spark. It landed there, and he had a little mark. But sparks fly upward, and just like sparks fly upward, man is born for adversity. Man is born into trouble. Life is full of trouble. And trouble produces sorrow, and sorrow produces tears, but there's coming a day when these tears are going to be wiped away. And I imagine that we're going to lose the power to remember loved ones who have rejected Jesus Christ. I'm not sure what kind of heaven it would be if we could remember those who were suffering in the lake of fire for all of eternity. I imagine that we're going to lose the power to remember those who have rejected Christ. There's going to be no more death, is what it says there in that verse, in verse number 4. No more death. No more separation. And even during the millennium, people are going to die. They may live a long time, but still there's going to be death. Certainly at the conclusion of the millennial reign of Christ, those who follow Satan's deception and reject Jesus Christ as the Messiah... Reject Jesus Christ as Savior and as King, certainly they're going to be consumed with fire. They're going to suffer the second death. But once that is over, once the great white throne judgment is over after the millennial reign of Christ, and the new heaven and the new earth are created, and the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven, there is not going to be any more death. And as I often remind you that you can never win an argument using 100% statements, that's a place where I can use a 100% statement. Many of you will be there. Think of people that you would like to be there. Think of the people that God wants to be there. You and I ought to do everything in our power We ought to surrender all to the Lord and say, God, would you use me to lead some others to be there? Do you believe believe that that is God's desire? 
Did you notice as I read from 2 Peter chapter 3 as we talked about the, uh, after the flood, that earth being destroyed and then uh, 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 another earth and heavens being formed in a sense. And, and, now, and then he talked about how that's going to be destroyed with fire and God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Couched in there, did you read, I, I think it's verse 7, Second uh, Peter chapter 3, did you hear how he said that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance? Did you read that in there? What do you think God's will is for the people that he's created? Do you really believe that God sends people to hell with no decision at all? I don't believe that at all. There's not going to be any more death. And then he says in verse number 4, the former things are passed away. God has an entirely new way of life planned for us that really is beyond our comprehension. It won't be hard to get used to. It will be strangely familiar to us, but it really is beyond our comprehension today. For instance, when we think of heaven without being married, I don't like that idea at all. I have a wife. I love my wife. I think I could be married to her for all of eternity. She might not say the same. (laughs) I don't know if that would be heavenly to be married to me for all of eternity. But when we think of heaven without being married, without that companionship that so many of us enjoy, it it causes us a little bit of sadness, doesn't it? We're going to know each other. It, It causes us a little bit of remorse, but as wonderful as a good Christian marriage is today, what God has in store for us in the new world, in heaven, is going to be better. We will have delight, sheer delight and joy that can never be quenched. Finally, in verses 5 and following, I notice that the wonderful new world is going to be protected by a new constitution. A new constitution. Uh, There's a constitution of sorts that we have, a, a grouping of sorts that we have here. Notice in verse number 5, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these things are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. And by the way, thirsting isn't a bad thing as long as it can be satisfied. How could there be any thirsting in heaven? It's not a big deal as long as it can be satisfied. The problem is when you thirst and you can't satisfy the thirst. In verse 7, he that overcometh shall inherit all things. And that's, that's an encouragement to you and to me to be an overcomer in this life. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up in the race. Because God has a reward in store for you and for me. A place of service someday for all of eternity within his kingdom, a holy kingdom, without sin. Be an overcomer. Don't give up. He says, I will be his God and he shall be my son. And then he says in verse 8, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whore- and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And we've already looked at that at the end of verse number, or chapter number 20. So the, the wonderful new world is going to be protected by a new constitution. You see the things that are not going to be there in verse number 8. It's going to be a safe place to live. It's going to be a satisfying place to live. It's going to be a wonderful place to live. I've had the privilege of being raised in the United States of America, and I count it a privilege, and it's a wonderful place to live. When the Puritans came on the Mayflower, they signed their names to what's called the Mayflower Compact. And it says, in the name of God, amen, We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord King James, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, King, Defender of the Faith, etc. That's how they wrote in those days, etc. Some of you wish that I'd preach that way, etc. Just move on. 
you have it so rough. (laughs) But you know, the experiment of the pilgrims, while it was an amazing experiment, and while it was the beginning of a powerful and a mighty nation, that dream has faded. The seeds of decay were brought over with the pilgrims themselves. The pilgrims were good men. Some of them were even godly men, but they were still just men. And their children were sinners, like you and me. 167 years later, on September 17, 1787, the Constitution of the United States was completed. It is one of the most enlightened and impressive documents ever written. But the very freedoms guaranteed us by our Constitution, which we love and value so much, threaten to be the very undoing of our nation. Why? Because we are a sinful people. But there is coming a country where the Constitution is flawless, and the citizens of that country are perfect. And that country will never end. We call it heaven. It's a new world. A new earth. New heavens. And a new capital city called the New Jerusalem. And it will never pass away. And so I ask you again, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? I hope it is. Do not put your confidence for your salvation in a church or in a religion, even in a prayer. Do not put it in your good works, in your character, what you have done. Put your confidence, your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And God has said repeatedly in his word that he will not turn you away. He will save you. He will save you. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father.